uh, what was this, uh, December 5th, 1989, the evening edition, Orange County Register. Article entitled, Orange County's Fastest Growth, Pessimism. Did you see that? And actually, this is on the very front page. It says, Orange County's fastest growth is pessimism. More residents than ever studying a move. Polls find. Paradise Lost is the question that they have in the, in the, uh, on the side, and they got a bar graph showing. It says, nearly half of Orange County residents are pessimistic about the area's future. Less than one-third believe this will become a better place to live. Says Orange County residents predict a gloomy future for this area, but few see themselves as part of the problem or the solution, a new survey shows. <laughs> Typical. And, and for the first time, a high income isn't helping to ease such daily frustrations as traffic and congestion, the 1989 Orange County Annual Survey found. For the first time, quote, for the first time it looks as though money no longer buys happiness with Orange County. And the bar, uh, the bar graph that they have uh, to the right it says that uh, money doesn't matter. It looks as though money no longer buys happiness in Orange County. Just 29.5% of those with annual household incomes of more than $50,000 think things are going very well. As a result, more people than ever are contemplating a move. People are thinking about alternatives wherever they are. They're looking for paradise. And you found it, and you found it, and you're not going to tell anybody where it's at, are you? It says they're looking for paradise, whether it's in the South County or outside the region altogether. They're looking for paradise. That's interesting, isn't it? In fact, uh, James Hilton wrote a book called Lost Horizon, and in it he tells of a hidden paradise called Shangri-La. And it's a paradise on earth. I thought it was fascinating to read that, that we're all looking for paradise, and if you've ever read the travel section of your uh, local newspapers, you've probably seen advertisement after advertisement promoting some tropical island somewhere that's a little bit of paradise. Or like they like to call it, they like to say, it's a piece of heaven on earth, looking for paradise. I thought it was fascinating because all of us, to some degree or another, are in the same search, whether we want to admit it or not. And I know personally because it was almost 14 years ago that uh, Linda and I, and at the time our oldest daughter, who was six months old then, um, decided to uh, look for paradise. And we moved from Pennsylvania to Southern California in our quest to find it. And uh, it's interesting because as we were going through the process of, of moving out here, uh, we went and we rented the official mode of transportation for those who are traveling to Paradise. And of course, we all know that's U-Haul. And uh, if you've ever done that, you know what it's like. So we got, we got the U-Haul, we packed it on up, and we moved to Southern California because that's where we were going to find Paradise. The question I have as I was wrestling through that, I know that we're not unique in this experience. How many of you moved here from somewhere else in search of Paradise? Now, you, you may not have called it paradise. You may have called it a uh, better opportunity. You have, may, may have called it uh, a better life. You may call it something different. But if you've ever been in that situation and you've made the move, see, what we did, we went through this process where we went and uh, got, if you ever go to the auto club, if you ever gone on a trip anywhere and you go to the auto club, they have those deals, those trip tickets, their trip ticks or whatever they call them, where you plot your destination and they tell you what the best way is to get there. 
So we went to the local auto club, and they gave us a thing, and um, we wanted to come to Southern California. We were living outside of Pittsburgh, so they plotted out what the best way was to travel across country at the time of the year, and it was in February that we were going to do that. So we got this thing, and... Uh, well, I mean, as the best way as possible. Well, it was a really interesting experience. We could go into a lot of detail about it, but, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania, never have been to the desert. Well, I mean, the desert's always hot, right? I mean, the desert's always hot, except for in Kingman, Arizona, where the desert had four feet of snow, and we were stuck in a cheesy hotel room uh, waiting, and it's like, this is the desert. This is good. This is good. Right there, it was like, it started to dawn on me, this search for paradise wasn't going to be what I thought it was. But anyway, so they, they kind of they plot this whole thing out, and then they, you know they have all the different stops that they that they take you through en route to paradise, which was Southern California, and they take you through places like Cincinnati and Indiana and um, uh, Joplin, Missouri, which is definitely a paradise here on this earth. Joplin, Missouri, and uh, Oklahoma City, and uh, you know, and ultimately you get through Gallup, New Mexico. Another hot spot that you all want to go to sometime. And then you ultimately end up in, in paradise, Southern California. So the interesting thing as you're going through this is that California, Southern California represented to us what we thought paradise would be. It represented an opportunity. It represented where we'd find satisfaction, where we'd find peace of mind, where we could find contentment, where I could get my education. It represented all those things that you think paradise should represent. And that's what we're in search of when we came here. And uh, man's always had that burning desire to find satisfaction or paradise. And uh, while he may not have always had a U-Haul to uh, take him on that journey, uh, he's always uh, he's taken it nonetheless. And Solomon was a kind of individual. And if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Because, see, Solomon, even though it was 3,000 years ago, he went on the same trip that we went on. But he did it in a little different fashion. But the ultimate result was that he wanted to find paradise. He wanted to find lasting satisfaction in his life, and the journey that he took had many stops. Well, his journey didn't necessarily go through Joplin, Missouri, um, or Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, but he did have certain stops along the way, and this is what was found in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This triptych of his outlines the destination that ultimately he did find paradise, but it wasn't where he thought it would be. And see, we came to that same conclusion in our own lives as uh, we traveled to Southern California looking for paradise. We found paradise. We found it when we got here, but it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And so I want you to stop with me for a moment and think about that because if you're looking for paradise or you're looking for satisfaction, you can find satisfaction on this earth, I'll guarantee it. But it isn't going to be the way that you're going about it. It's not going to be the trip that you're taking. And in fact, if anything, that trip is going to lead you to the same conclusion that Solomon came to, and that is that there's going to be no satisfaction on this earth the way that you're heading. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, look at the first verse. He said, I said to myself, come now and I'll test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself, and behold, it too is futility. I said, of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and I had home-born slaves. Also I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. 
Also, I collected for myself silver and gold in the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as, as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool all alike die. So I hated life, for the work which, I had, been done, which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun, and this too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with him. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous, even at night his mind does not rest, and this too is vanity. Solomon is searching for satisfaction, and he's finding a lot of roadblocks. And if you're in a situation right now as we speak, and you're looking for satisfaction, you're probably up against the same thing. So why don't we just stop and just ask God to bless our time and open our eyes so we can see the truth. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be together. We just thank you for this triptych that you've given us in Solomon's life for the destination that he arrived at, which truly is paradise, but the route that he took was leading to dead ends. God, help us to see what road we're traveling and where we're heading with it all. Help us to see the truth of your word, and as always, give us the strength through your spirit to apply what is true as we learn it. We just thank you now and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can see here as we're going through this, Solomon has uh, several things that he comes up against, and they're frustrating at best because he's going on the same trip that many of us are on, and that's the trip to try to find some type of lasting satisfaction. And in this particular passage, as we're going to take a look at it, basically this will give you the outline of what he did and what the conclusions were that he discovered. As you can see, if you're looking for satisfaction or if you're looking for paradise, um, you know, you're not alone. And as we go through this, we see that the, there's three problems that he ran into. The first one is that our pursuits won't provide lasting satisfaction. That's what he tells us in the first section going down through verse 11. Our pursuits will not bring lasting satisfaction. The second thing is, he says, our pursuits won't protect us from death. No matter what we do, no matter what we achieve, no matter how much money we make, no matter what it is, it's not going to keep you and I from the ultimate fate of all of us, and that is that we're going to die. The third thing that he saw is that our pursuits will become the property of others. And he went through in great detail and explained to us so we can come up with the same thought process that he has in coming to the conclusion that he does come to and that there is an answer, there is an answer to life, but it's not the direction that we're going. 
These are the conclusions that he took a look at, and it gets frustrating at best as we take a look to see that many of us are on the same road that he's on, and uh, we're not finding the satisfaction. We're not finding paradise like we thought that we would. There are ten pursuits, and they're outlined in the first ten verses that he, went, that he looked into, and the pursuits that will not produce lasting satisfaction are all the pursuits that you're being told will bring joy and happiness and peace and contentment to your life, and you're finding out as you're taking this trip that it's just not doing it. So he went through it, and he went down through this whole list, and, and uh, I can relate to this. I don't know if you can or not, but if you were in search of satisfaction or if you're in search of paradise and you achieved any of these things or accomplished any of them, then you realize the truth of what Solomon's saying. When we moved from Pennsylvania to Southern California, we had the, the opportunities that we never had before, and granted, there are many opportunities here that there aren't in a lot of other places in the world. So we began to, as you went down this lick, list, click them off one by one. And you realize that it doesn't have to be the magnitude of the accomplishment as much as it does. Whatever the goal was, once you achieve it, then you realize that there's something still missing. So externally, and I want you to understand how the perception of this usually works. Externally, you've got people in your lives who look at your life and say, if I had what you have, or if I was doing what you were doing, then I would be satisfied. And so as we moved out here and began to achieve some of the things that we had set out to do, we had friends, relatives, neighbors who knew us before or were still living in Pennsylvania and they were looking at our life and they were saying, guess what? Man, from the outside, you got it made. You're accomplishing all these things. Pleasure, laughter, uh, achievements, possession, money. You're making more money than you've ever made. More money you could ever make if you just stayed back here. That was a good move for you. And so you go down through this list and you begin to realize, like Solomon did, that you know what? Well, if everything's so great on the outside, why don't I feel it on the inside? Why isn't there a sense of satisfaction and contentment in my life? And why is it that I've got to keep on uh, trying to achieve more and the original goals that we had no longer were satisfying or pleasing? So everything looks good from the outside, but not from the inside. It's a very rare person, and I appreciate the transparency of Solomon who although from the outside he looks like he got the world by the tail and he's spinning in any direction that he wants, from the outside he had everything that a person could ever want. But he's honest enough and transparent enough to say, you know what, what you see on the outside isn't taking care of the problem that I have on the inside. You may think I'm special, you may think this is going to solve all your problems, but take it from me because I'm there, I'm experiencing it, and it isn't doing it. What do you see in the life of somebody else that you're looking at saying, boy, you know what, if I just had what they had or if I was doing what they were doing, then I'd be satisfied. Every one of us struggle with that. Every one of us deal with that at some point or time where we look at somebody else's life and say, you know what, if I was just them, then I'd be content. You know what Solomon said? Hey, I'll just be honest with you because the person you want to be like may not be honest with you about what's going on in their life. They may look like everything's great on the outside, but you know what, on the inside, the truth of the matter is there's a problem. So the problem is what we're going to deal with, and that's what Solomon starts to talk about, what's going on on the inside of this person's life. You know, a lot of times we look at this, the whole term frustration is, is a Latin term that comes, uh, uh, which means in vain. A person who's frustrated with life, they've come to the conclusion that everything that they're doing is vain. doesn't matter what they accomplish, doesn't matter what they do, whatever it is, it's vanity. It's vain. It's in vain. Uh, we'd like to put it, uh, they're spinning their wheels. There's a lot of motion, but there's no forward progress. You know, they're kind of like a car stuck on ice, man. The wheels are just spinning. The smoke's coming off. But there's nothing. There's no forward motion. If you're frustrated in life, then this is for you 
to sit and take, take heed to what he has to say. Because we get to that point of saying, you know what? From the outside, everything looks great, but on the inside, things aren't going too well. And Solomon doesn't pretend. He's no hypocrite. He just lets you know exactly where it's coming from. This past week, I was uh, talking to a friend who, uh, in another business, uh, was talking to... He said, in 1983, he was on top of his business. And he's in this sports field. And he said, in 1983, he was on top of his business. He said, every person that saw him would look at him and say he had it together. He was making more money than he ever thought he'd make. He had the popularity. He was in the media on a regular basis, whether it was newspaper, TVs, whether it was on uh, uh, radio. He was being interviewed all the time. He was at the top of his field. He had achieved everything that he could achieve. He had every recognition that that industry had to offer. He had accomplished it. And he was in the locker room one day, and he was just getting dressed, and there was only one other person in there with him. And uh, they were getting dressed, and they were standing at the sink, and they were combing their hair. And uh, the guy that was with them said, he said, you know what? He said, everybody in the world that sees you right now thinks you got it together. You're making all this money. you got everything going on for you. You're popular. Everybody wants to interview you. Uh, man, it's just unbelievable opportunities are coming up. Everybody that sees you thinks you got it together. He said, but I just noticed something about your life. And it is that you don't seem to be very happy. And he said at the time, he looked back on it, and he'll never forget the conversation, because at the time, he looked at him and said, kind of like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are telling me whether I'm happy or not? Who do you think you are? When you're the person I am, when you accomplish what I accomplish, when you make the money that I make, when you are me, then you got something to say. Who do you think you are telling me that I'm not happy? He said, and this was the other night, he said, you know what? He said, God used that in my life because I remember back exactly that. And he said, you know what? He cut right through all the facade that no one else could see. He saw things for what they really were. See, that's what the Word of God does. That's what God does. Because I can look at you, and I don't care what kind of front you're putting on. I don't care what kind of car you're driving, what kind of money you're making, where you're at. I can look at you and say, you know what? That's not bringing satisfaction in your life, is it? There's something missing, isn't there? You're not very happy, are you? And I can be confident because God tells me that that's the truth. And even though at the time the person can say, hey, yeah, well, you don't know, man. You don't even know. But you know why I can say that? Because here Solomon is. This guy had it all. He was on top of the world. He was on top of his game. He had accomplished it all. And you know what he said? I did it all and it ain't doing it. I'm still missing something. Something's wrong. Something's lacking. It ain't there. And I can read this and I can deal with people on an ongoing basis and realize the truth of what God has to say. And I don't care who you think you are or what you think you're you're accomplishing at this moment in time. The truth of the matter is that that's not going to bring satisfaction. That's the truth. And that's exactly what happened here. So there are some conclusions about this truth that we're dealing with that Solomon comes to from this first section. And the truth of it is this. Number one, our pursuits don't bring satisfaction even if we excel in everything that we do. Some of us believe that if we were better at what we did, if we just accomplished the goals, the achievements, the awards, that whatever it is, the particular field that you're in has to offer, 
If it's an Oscar, if it's a Grammy, if it's All Pro, if it's this or that, whatever it is, uh, if it's the All Engineering Degree Award, I don't know, whatever your industry has to offer, whatever it is, if you get Salesman of the Month, Salesman of the Year, the, whatever club it is, you believe that if you accomplish that and excel at that and you're the best at what you could be, that somehow that'll bring lasting satisfaction. Can I just ask you a question? Did Solomon do anything shabbily? Did he excel in what he did? Could you imagine for a moment, for 40 years that Solomon reigned over Israel, there was never a war, he never had any problems. He had his whole defense budget that he could use to pursue the things that he said he was pursuing. He could pursue it all. He had it all available to him, he could do any of those things, and that's exactly what he did. He was the best at what he could be. The best. And you know what he said? Even when you're the best, it doesn't do the trick. Even when you're the best. So there are many of us who believe that if we're the best at what we did, that somehow along the line, somewhere along the line, that we're going to end up in a situation where uh, then we'll be satisfied. I was handed an article this morning. CEO Charles Wang. Charles Wang's family fled China after the 1949 communist takeover. They arrived in the United States with exactly two suitcases. Now Wang owns stock worth about $120 million and heads a company valued at $3 billion. He's pleased but he's not satisfied. You also have a sense of things that are very tenuous, so you work very hard today and you keep going. At CA, we have goals, and as soon as we hit those goals, we move the goalposts back. We hit a billion dollars last year, big deal. This year, we're going for $10 billion. He's pleased, but he's not satisfied. Now you're sitting there going, oh, $120 million. I'd be satisfied. <laughs> I know, that's the way we think, isn't it? Isn't that the truth? Think about it. What's your company goals? What are your personal goals? 120 million? I'd be satisfied. Sure, that'll do it. That'll do it. Three billion? Now nah, we're going for 10 billion. And 10 billion? Peanuts. Peanuts compared to Solomon. Solomon? The world knew who he was. Everybody in the world knew who he was. Everyone in the world at the time came to seek his wisdom and his advice and his counsel in business and other areas of life. Everybody knew who he was. Charles Wang? Charles Wang would work for Solomon. <laughs> Solomon owned him. Donald Trump, Trump, the Trump game, you know, the art of the deal, this kind of stuff. Donald Trump thinks he's big time stuff. Solomon eat him up. He'd have him working for him. He'd probably be one of his slaves that were running around there. <laughs> oh, Donnie, can you come here, please? <laughs> I know one of you are going to send this tape to Donald Trump. I know it right now. <laughs> Did you hear what that guy had to say about you? And you know what? The, the great thing is I don't really care because the bottom line is this is true. We're not satisfied. You can excel in anything that you want, and it's not going to happen. The second thing that he found out was even if, if uh, he explored everything that was humanly possible to do, he could explore it all. See, some of us are at a point where we believe that we just haven't explored it all. We haven't done enough. We haven't found the right combination, so we continually are searching for something to do. We're kind of like the person that wins the lottery, you know, and all of a sudden they've got more money than they ever had, and they can quit their job so they've got the time, and now they have the capabilities of doing all the things that they dreamed about doing and they couldn't do before that would now bring satisfaction to, your, to their life. Or the retired couple that has some money and they've got the time now and they can travel and they can do all the things that they want to do. We've worked hard all of our life so when we get to the retirement ages we can enjoy it and we'll have a great time and a wonderful time and then we'll be satisfied. And then you find out, guess what? All these tropical paradises that you're going to travel to, they all end up looking like the same place after a while. You've seen one beach, you've seen them all. You've seen, you hit one wave, you've hit them all. You drank one umbrella drink, you've drank them all. 
And it's like, hey, you know what? And they go from island to island. They're hopping all over the place, having a wonderful time. And what they find out was that, gee whiz, you know what? Even if we explore all the things that we never explored before, it's just not doing it. And so they read the advertisement and they travel to this island. And then they, they, don't, they find out that, guess what? There are bugs there. There are mosquitoes on that island. And they're thinking, this is paradise. There shouldn't be a mosquito on paradise. This doesn't right. And then it rains. And then to get to the island, they've got to sit in the freeway in traffic to get to the airport where they miss a flight or is a flight delayed, and nothing works out right, but they're going to find paradise. Oh, this is wonderful. I mean, do we ever stop and think about what we're being told, that we're, we're being told to buy into? Have you stopped and talked to a retired person who has money and that all they do is play golf every day, and that, you know, after a while, that even gets, that even gets old for those of you who golf, believe it or not. Or they go fishing every day. How many fish can you catch before it gets old after a while? So what Solomon's saying is it's like, hey, you know what? Ten pursuits. Oh, let's go through them. I haven't done this one yet, so we slap this back up here, and we're on this road, and we're saying, I know, maybe one plus eight. That'll do it. Or... And it may, right? Or we go down through it, and you're adding all these different combinations, four and two and two and three and three and seven and ten and five, and you know what it all equals? You know what it all equals? Take any combination, add them all up, and you know what you're going to get? Zero. Zero. That's Solomon said. Add them up, and you get zero. That's God's math. I like that better than new math, because I can't help my kids with it, but I can help them with this. Said, hey, explore everything you want to explore, and you know what? You're going to come away with a big zero. So then the last thing is, hey, our pursuits don't bring satisfaction, even if we enjoy them. And I'll be, fr- I'll be honest with you, because this is what the Bible teaches. We can enjoy things temporarily. There's no question about it. And the dumbest counsel I've ever heard somebody saying is to somebody who's doing something that isn't right before God, they're saying, you know what? You go ahead, you go ahead, you do that, and you're not going to enjoy it. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't care, but there are things you can do. You can do drugs, you can do sex, you can do a lot of things, and you're going to have temporary pleasure, and you've got to be an idiot to tell somebody they're not enjoying it. Because they're looking at you like, man, don't you know how to do this stuff? I'll tell you what, I know how to do it, and it's enjoyable. It is enjoyable, it's temporary though. And the problem is, Solomon looks at this whole thing, and he, and he says in, in uh, chapter 2, if you just like, look for him, with him for a moment, he looks at this and he goes, you know what? And he looks back on his life and everything that he did. And he says in verse 10, All that my eyes desired, I didn't refuse. Man, I did everything that you can imagine. I didn't refuse myself anything. He said, you know what? From my heart was, and my heart was pleased because all my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. I, I enjoyed it. It was fun building those parks. It was fun running around with all those gals. It was fun having entertainment. It was fun. It was a good time. I had pleasure. It was enjoyable. But you know what? What does he say in in verse 11? But then you know what happened? I stopped to really think about it. I stopped to consider it. And I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was no profit under the sun. Oh yeah, I had a good time when I wasn't really thinking about it. Because it's fun having fun. But you know what? I had to stop and think about it. See, some of you are there. You're having fun. You're having a good time. You're looking at me and going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But I'm just going to encourage you and challenge you to stop and think about all the things you're doing and all that you're accomplishing. And I want you to go through the same thought process that he went through 
And then you tell me at the end if you've ever really stopped to consider the road you're on. Because fun is fun. And man, fun's in the fast lane. The fast lane is moving fast. That's why they call it the fast lane. And you don't have time to think when you're the fast lane. Because you're moving too fast to think. I want you to slow down for a minute. That's why God says, cease striving and know that I'm God. Slow down just long enough to get a grip on reality a minute. And consider where you're heading on the road that you're on. And you know what Solomon said? Hey, look at verse 12. Hey, you know what? The road I was going down is dead-end street. I saw that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go a little different direction. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what he's already done? So I'm going down the fast lane, and I don't like the fast lane. It ain't doing the trick for me. You saw the ten things he, he clicked off? All ten of them. He said, you know what I find out? They're dead-end street. That's not doing it. So what am I going to do? So we go down the ten thing, and we say, oh, pleasure? Well, then you know what? Then we got uh, philosophies in the world that say, hey, you, you know what? Pleasure's not going to do it. You know what they tell you? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Suffer. Uh, punish yourself. That'll do it. That'll bring satisfaction. So you go down through this, this laughter. Hey, don't be laughing all the time. Don't be cutting up. Are you ever serious? You've got to be serious about life. You've got to stop and think about life. You need to be a deep thinker. You know, sit on that stool and kind of give her one of these things, you know. You've got to be a thinker. So we, we change directions and we take a look at it and we kind of go the other direction because we still haven't found what we're looking for, like the song says. So we go a different way. Drugs and alcohol? Oh, no, what? The movement now is, hey, let's think fitness. Let's think chicken, turkey, low cholesterol. No beef. You know what I'm saying? Because we find beef and cholesterol is killing us. So we're going to go a different direction. Let's go turkey chicken. Then we'll find lifetime satisfaction. And how many ways can you cook this stuff? Possessions? No, possessions don't do it. So you find a person who has a lot of possessions. You know what they decide? Possessions made them frustrated. So what are they doing with it? Oh, they're the great philanthropists of our day who give them away. And we look at them in awe and say, boy, I wish I could give them away. Then I'd find lasting satisfaction. Helping other people, that'll do it. And so you start to give them away. Money, who cares about money anymore? Possessions, who cares about them? The greatest thing ever happened to us. Uh, I had a brother-in-law. Oh, I still do. Um, <laughs> until he hears what I'm about to say. Um, but who was on one of those kicks, you know, it came out of the 70s, you know, you just uh, smoke some grass and, and go back to nature and then life's beautiful. Anyway, so, so he wanted to get rid of all of his possessions. He was going back to nature on a 10-speed bike. Okay, well, I, I, you know, I mean, somehow or another, I don't know if they had 10-speed bikes when people were back to nature, but can't see Adam and Eve cruising around the garden on a 10-speed, but I don't know. Anyway, so what happened was he decided to get rid of his car. Because you don't need a car when you're going back to nature on a 10-speed bike. I encouraged them. I needed a car. Nature, you can have it. I need a car. I got a car. What a deal we got. That was the greatest deal we got. It was the first car we ever bought. It was the greatest deal in the world. I still thank them to this day, but I, don't, I never tell them. But it's like, hey, this guy wanted to go back to nature. He wanted to get away, rid of his possessions. Why? Because possessions weren't bringing him any happiness or satisfaction. So let's get rid of them and uh, sell them at a loss. And I didn't argue with him. The, the latest thing, you want to go another direction? You know what? Oh, the direction now we're going in in sex is, hey, celibacy. Celibacy. Not just for those who aren't married. But those for are married. First Corinthians chapter 7, there was a problem with that in the whole situation because everybody was doing it and they were having a lot of problems with it. So you know what they discovered? That, hey, maybe we ought to just eliminate sex altogether. 
See, so what's going to find lasting satisfaction in our society is when people just eliminate sex altogether because it's sex that's causing the problems. No, it's not sex that's causing the problems. It's the way that people are doing sex, and God has a lot to say about that. But what we're doing is we're going to turn a whole different direction. Somehow, looking for that satisfaction we can't find, we're going to go in a different direction. And in marriage, oh, let's go to a new partner. If you're single, let's get married. That'll bring satisfaction. And on and on and on and on it goes. So he said, I turn to consider. I went a different direction. What direction are you heading now? You're on the road to paradise, and you got there, and you find that it wasn't what you thought it would be, and so they jump back in the U-Haul, and you're ready to go somewhere else. California's not it. Hey, maybe it's Hawaii. Maybe it's Tahiti. I don't know. Gee, you know, maybe we ought to go back to Pennsylvania. And yeah, maybe not. So you go through it. Anyway, here's his conclusions. Look at uh, verse uh, 12. You ready? So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what's already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. And the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. And I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. Inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life for the work which I had done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after the wind. So I went a different direction. And you know the direction he wanted to? Hey, I went another direction. I thought that I'd go in a direction and I'd be wise with how I'd live my life. I thought I'd just check into it a little bit. And you know what he found out? doesn't matter how smart you are, you're still going to be dead. I don't care how many degrees you have, this is good news for you multiple degree holders, which I have no problem with, except, well, except that too often we put too much credibility or we put too much uh, weight on these things that we've accomplished. And the reality of it is, I don't care what multiple degrees you have, I don't care what you've got going for you in the field of education or whatever, but the simple fact remains, you're going to be dead. You're going to die. And they may have more things to say about you when you're laying in the box, but uh, the truth of the matter is, and they may, then you may have more classmates than some of the rest of us that will be able to tell you the truth about the situation, but you won't be able to hear it because you're always been in the dead, and you'll find out it is true. <laughs> So the reality of what Solomon had to say is, guess what? There are four things that he discovered about death. Death doesn't recognize the excellence of wisdom. It doesn't matter how smart you are. Nobody cares. You're going to die. But he does say this, that it does pay to be wise. So don't take this out of context. Let's stop and think about what he's saying. He said that, you know, and God has a lot to say about wisdom. He says, seek it, search it, find it. It's going to be a lot better for you the way that you live your life. If you're wise and not a fool, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 4, Proverbs 8. I mean, read it. God wants us to be wise in this earth, on this li- in this life, on this earth. He wants you to be wise in how you go about it. And he said, I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Wisdom's good. And it'll pay off in the long run if you're, wi- if you're wise and not foolish. It says, then the wise man's eyes are in his head. He can see where he's going. He can make decisions based on, on all the facts. And he can go in the right direction. And it pays off to be wise. It says, but the fool walks in darkness. <laughs> but yet, on the other hand, I notice it doesn't really matter in the end because both of them are going to die. Whether you're foolish on this life or whether you're wise, you're still going to end up dead. That's the reality. Second thing is, he says, death doesn't respect the desire for wisdom. It doesn't matter how wise you want to be. It doesn't matter how many degrees you want to obtain. Uh, whether you dedicate your life to a life of study and a pursuit of, of all the worldly wisdom that you can find. The reality of it is that you're going to die. 
You know, the amazing thing is that the whole world, Queen of Sheba, came to Solomon to seek out his wisdom and said that, you know what, his wisdom exceeded by far anything you'd heard about him. said his reputation had preceded him everywhere that it went. But you know how a lot of times reputations, when you finally see the real thing, you kind of let down? You know what she said? Hey, man, not only are you the wisest person that I've ever been in the presence of, but your wisdom doubles. It exceeds that which I've heard. My expectations weren't a letdown. You're an incredible person. So this is an incredible guy. He's saying, hey, you know what? I've got it all as far as wisdom is concerned. But you know what? I'm still going to die. That's what he found out. And it doesn't matter. Death doesn't respect your desire to be wise. And it doesn't remember the work of wisdom. It says, uh, and as you take a look at this, look at verse 16. It says, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man is with the fool. And as much as in the coming days all will be forgotten and how the wise man and the fool alike all die. Doesn't matter what you accomplish, doesn't matter how wise you are, as time goes on, people are going to forget about who you are. We'll do everything we can to try to be remembered by people. We'll build pyramids. We'll uh, go through great lengths to let people know who we were, try to make an impact on life. And there's only a handful of people. We can all look at the pyramids and be ooh and ah of them, but you know what? There's only a handful of historians who even know who they were built and memorialized, yet alone even care. So the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how wise you are, what length you go to, to be wise and to be, try to be remembered by people, people are going to forget you. It's amazing to me is that what people forget, God remembers, and what God forgets, people remember. It's such a, uh, it's such a contradiction. But the truth of the matter is, the only person who's going to remember anything about your existence is God Himself. So he goes through the whole process and says, hey, there's some truth about death that you all need to get a handle on. And he says, and it doesn't relieve the burden of wisdom. The problem is, as you, as you consider everything that's being said, you realize the truth of what God has to say. And you know what he said in verse 17? I hated life because of it. The road that I was going on, and I was seeking to be the wisest person that I could be, and you know what I found out? It doesn't really matter. Wisdom doesn't really pay off in the long run, ultimately, because I'm still going to check out. I am still going to die. And so he gets frustrated with the whole program and he goes through this whole thing. And uh, so he goes down and he decides, you know what though? I know what I'll do. I'm going to go in another direction. Look at verse 18. He said, so I hated life. I hated, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I'd labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he's going to be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I've labored. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there's a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with him. This too is vanity and great evil. How can you miss this? Do you know people who are living for their jobs today? Are you living for your job? Do you know people right now in this room as we speak who live for their job? Who the only thing that they talk about is their job. The free time that they have, it's to discuss their job. The vacations that they cancel because they can't go on because it's going to affect their business. Work, work, work. Strategize, compete, plan. Skip your vacations. If you go on a vacation, call the office every other hour. You're always thinking about what's going on in your job. It's labor, 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 and you go through all of it. And the amazing thing is, you know what happens, Solomon said? You're going to die. He says you're going to die. Listen to this. Dennis Barnhart was president of an aggressive company. It was called Eagle Computer up in the Bay Area. 
says he finally decided he should go public with his business that he started, and he went through this whole process of offering some stock to the public, and he became a multimillionaire overnight. This was the article that was in the Los Angeles Times, and this is how it read. Until the accident at 4.30 Wednesday afternoon, it had been the best days for Barnhart and his thriving young company, which makes small business and personal computers. Eagle netted $37 million from the initial offering of 2.75 million shares. The stock, which, he, which hit the market at 13 a share, rose quickly as quickly uh, to 27 before closing at a bid price of 15.50. The article went on to describe what was going on, and it said this. That made Barnhart's ownership of 492,000 shares worth more than $9 million. And guess what happened? That same afternoon, his sports car went off the road into a ditch, and he got killed. You know, isn't it amazing? It seems terribly irrelevant when you get to the fact that uh, he died. It really make a whole lot of difference at that point, does it? I like what Euripides wrote. He said that, that he called death the debt we must all pay. Derek Kidner, in his message of Ecclesiastes, asks this question. If every card in our hand will be trumped, does it really matter how we play? I don't know what you're working for, but I just want to smack you in the side of your head for a second with some cold dose of reality. And that is that today, this very afternoon, this very moment as we speak, you may be called out of here. Now, that makes you uncomfortable, and I'm glad, and it should. And if that doesn't do it, you know what else will do it? Go down through this and look what Solomon has to say. You know what happens to all the work? The business that you're building, all the work that you're putting into it, he says that the reality of it is when you're gone and you leave it behind, you don't know whether the person who's going to start to run it is going to be a wise person or a fool. We worked for a company for, what, 35 years of business? The man who owned it worked hard. He skipped vacations. I'm sure he devoted a lot of time, effort, and energy to it. He ultimately sold the business, so he got some reward for his labor. But you know what happened after that? He sold it to some fools who within two years the company went bankrupt. Now all the people that worked there that skimped, saved, strategized, planned, did all those things and skipped vacations and spent time there and made the extra hours and all that kind of stuff, you know what they found out? That when they left it all behind, some fools ran it and they ran it into the ground. Isn't that amazing? Maybe that'll smack you up inside your head a little bit about what you're living for today. You know what else to find out? There's another guy who's in business another 35, 40 years. And you know what he had? He didn't sell it to somebody who ran it in the ground. He had a son who ran it into the ground. That's worse than selling it. At least when you sell it, you get something for it. But, I mean, it was like, hey, you know what happened? And who knows whether the person after you is going to be wise or fool. Skimp, save, don't go on vacations, run the business. Man, make sure you're there all the time. Be a dedicated employee. And there's nothing wrong with that because God says that when you work, you work heartily as under the Lord. But then, you know what? I mean, Solomon said, here's the truth of all that, though. You're going to die. And even if you don't die and you have the unfortunate experience to living through a transition like that, and you're fired or they get rid of you or somebody comes else in and buys it and bring in their own people from corporate and you're not there anymore, and you think back on everything that you did to make that company a success, it just is as cold a reality as dying, isn't it? It's even harder to take because you know what you've put in. And you know what's amazing? Solomon says, hey, is that what you're living for? You're living for your job? Then who knows whether the person after you is going to be an idiot and run it into the ground. What are you doing? To me, not work hard? Of course not. Keep it in perspective of what we're talking about. But you know what he found out? That this too was vanity. It was stupid. It was a waste of time. He said, and then when, in verse 21, this is even better, when there's a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who hasn't labored with them at all. 
Hey, some of you people are getting ready to set up your estates. And you're going to leave everything that you've worked hard for. Every vacation you skipped. Every 16 and 20 hour day you put in. Every work week that was seven days a week long. Every one of those things that you've done. You know what? You've worked up to a point so you can leave it to someone who hasn't worked at all. Isn't that a blessing? Huh? Don't you feel good about that? And you know what Solomon said? This is an evil. This is an evil. If you leave everything that you've worked for to people who have demonstrated financial irresponsibility all of their life, and you leave all these assets to them to manage, you might as well just give them a gun to put it to their head because it's going to ruin their life. You know what God says? To much is given, <laughs> to, to much is given, much is expected. But to the one who had made five and the one who made ten, he's going to give them more. Because they showed responsibility. I want to encourage you as, any, as anybody who has a situation where you're going to leave something to somebody else that you're wise according to what God has to say. And that you give it to those who have shown financial responsibility, that have shown that they can manage it and handle it, and that they can do that, and not to people who don't have anything and they're the ones that need it because they've been irresponsible all their life. So you think you're going to do them a favor when you check out and leave it to them? You might as well just shoot them in the head before you go. Because that's exactly what's going to happen to them afterwards. You believe that? That's the truth. So anyway, where's this all lead us? Pretty depressed, I think. <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm so glad that you're depressed. You know why? Because what I'm hoping to do is take you down the road that Solomon went on, and every road was a dead-end street. And if you're depressed, then you're right where God wants you to be. You're working for your job, and you realize the truth of that. You can even look back on your own experience and see that, man, you know what? That's so true. I've seen it happen. I've slaved in a business and they sold it. They made the money and I didn't even, wasn't even guaranteed a job. Man, I've seen it where I've missed vacations and then I, they got rid of me and next thing you know, the guy who ran it after me ran, ran it into the ground and the thing's not even there anymore anyway. What was I giving up all that time for what reason? See, God has you now right where He wants you. You know why? You know what He's saying? You know the only place you'll find lasting satisfaction? You know the only place that you'll find paradise here on this earth? Look at verse 24. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the bottom line. There is nowhere to turn. There's nothing else to do. There's no more road to travel. There's no more U-Hauls to pack. If you're looking for satisfaction, because the truth is there's only one place you'll find it, and that's right here. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This I have also seen is from the hand of God. Number one, satisfaction is based on the resources of God alone. It's coming to the point where we recognize that everything we have comes from the hand of God. God gives us everything that we have and all that he asks in return is that we just thank him and praise him for it. The ability to work, the business that you're in, the, the ability that you have to pay your bills. God wants us to realize that every resource that we have. And you know the amazing thing? The greatest resources that we have in Southern California are all God-given. This is the sunshine. It's, it's the, the beach that He's given us. It's all the things that God has done. It's the mountains. It's the desert. It's the stars when you go into the mountains or desert to see them. But they're there. Everything is a resource given by God. And until we come to realize that, then we're in for a big disappointment because there's nothing that explains it other than God has given it to us. The ability that we have to work is God-given. To be able to breathe, to be able to walk, to be able to live on this planet is God-given. He created us. 
And when we don't have that and we try to live a life and pursue things outside of that revelation, we're heading down a dead-end street. Blaise Pasquale said this, Within the heart of every man is a God-shaped vacuum. There is nothing, there is no pursuit, and Solomon has shown us, and we find that out ourselves, there is no pursuit that will bring satisfaction other than coming to that personal understanding that there is a God who loves us, that created us, and everything we have comes from the hand of God. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Second thing is, Solomon said, satisfaction is based on a right relationship to God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? He stripped away every prop and every goal and every dream that you have in your life that you think will bring satisfaction. He's removed them all and said, you know what? The only place we can turn to now must be God. And he said, great, I'm glad. Now I finally got your attention. Now you'll see the truth of that. You will find no satisfaction outside of a right relationship with God. And as you go through it, we need to understand there is no enjoyment on the face of this earth without a personal relationship of who God is. And the Bible tells us clearly, if you want a right relationship with God, then you need to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 John 5, 11, 12 says, And this is the witness that God's given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son, and he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not life. And I've written to these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. You want to find a person that has satisfaction in their life? Then you need to find a person who's trusted in Jesus Christ, that believes on Him, and you'll find a person that knows what it means to have joy and satisfaction and contentment. That's the truth of what the Bible has to say. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, I I mean, I can't get any more blunt in this, but if you're looking for satisfaction any other way, you're going down a dead-end street. And you know what? When I say we found paradise, (laughs) we found paradise because I had somebody who took the time with me to share with me the same thing I'm sharing with you. That you think that money's going to do it. You think a promotion's going to do it. You thought moving to California was going to do it. You thought an education was going to do it. You thought a family was going to do it. You thought all those things were going to do it. And you've done all those things and you still got an emptiness, don't you? You know why? Because there's nothing that's going to bring satisfaction in your life until you know the God who created you, you know that He loves you, and you know that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. And if you just believe on that, then God says, then you will be at peace with God. And that's what we're lacking. We're restless people because we're searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places. You can find satisfaction if you give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And the last thing is this. Satisfaction is based on our response to God. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. Obviously, for the person that's not right in God's sight, it sure is a waste of time to think about all that they've done and that God gives it to whoever he wants to give it to. That's the truth. Can you, you, do you know that? There are people all around you who are striving for satisfaction and they're doing all the things that God's telling us not to do. And when they achieve it and they attain it, then God will just take that from them and they'll give it to, to one who's right in God's sight. Say, thank you for all your work. Thank you for all your struggle. Thank you for all your labor trying to live a life apart from God. I'll take that all now and I'll disperse it to my people because I love them and I care for them. Is that the wonderful truth? Now, I may be leading you on to believe that if you just trust in Christ and you become a Christian, that you'll be satisfied with life. Let me just tell you something. Putting your faith and trust in Christ and believing on Him will determine your destiny, that you'll be in the presence of God someday, but it isn't going to determine what your disposition is going to be. Because you can go right back to the same road that you were on before. 
and say, you know what? Wow, now I have Christ and let's go after some more money. And let's go after this and let's go after that and let's go after this and the other thing. And you know what he says? Hey, you've got to be right in God's sight. God determines what's right and wrong, not us. Our problem is that we say, well, I'm not that bad a person. I'm pretty good. What's wrong with what I'm doing? You know what God says? Hey, that's not your call, buddy. I determine what's good in my sight. And if you're dealing with people who say, well, I'm not that bad a person, God says you're a wicked sinner. And, and you say, but I'm doing a lot of good things. He says all your, filthy, all your righteousness is filthy rags. But I'm okay. No, you're not. Well, what will make me okay? Believing in Jesus Christ, realizing you're not okay, just trusting in Him, and then you'll be okay. Then you'll have peace with me because I put, I put everything there on the cross for you to believe or not to believe. That's your call. I did it all. All you got to do is believe it and trust in it. So we're going down that road, you see, and there are a lot of Christians who aren't satisfied in life, and I'll tell you right now why you're not satisfied. You want to know why you're not satisfied? Because you're living lives that aren't pleasing to God. You're going your own direction again. You think that somehow or another you're going to find satisfaction again and you've lost the whole purpose and reality of the truth of the Word of God. And that is the only way you're going to find satisfaction is by having a right relationship with God. There are people who are living in sin, is what the Bible says, people that are doing their own thing. They're living in sin. They're Christians. Their destiny is secure, but they're doing their own thing and they wonder why they're miserable in life. I'll just tell you right now to examine your hearts to see what you're doing that's not right before God. If you have a relationship with Him, He'll show you what those areas are. You need to confess it, agree with God, and stop doing it. And then you're back on the road to finding satisfaction. And what I said is true. What people remember, God will forget. If you confess it, He'll cleanse you from it, He'll wipe it from it, and it's gone. Man, isn't that a wonderful thing? What are you doing in your life that's causing you to be dissatisfied and discontent? Have you come to trust in Christ? If you've done that, then ask the next question. What am I doing that's not pleasing to God? Because that's what's leading me down a road that's causing me a lot of problems great theologian once said, our greatest pursuit, by the way, isn't our pursuit of the things that Solomon went after. Our greatest pursuit, according to the Word of God, is coming to know God in a personal way and then coming to understand what He desires for our life on a day-by-day basis. That's the greatest pursuit. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand there are pleasures forever, is what David wrote in Psalm 16. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for then they shall be satisfied. Is that your hunger? Is that your thirst? Great theologian summarized this whole session up. Just this one statement. Oh, actually, I did this. And this is the truth of everything we said. Satisfaction is not a product of our pursuits, but is a gift from God to those who know Him and walk in obedience with Him. That is the truth of what this whole passage has to tell us. Are you looking for satisfaction? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? And are you walking in obedience? Then you got it. And if you haven't, then you're not going to find it anywhere else. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to take this trip with Solomon and come to the conclusions that he did. God, help us to see how true it is. We've lived through it. We know it's true, and yet we refuse to believe it. We're working for our jobs. We're building a legacy that we leave to somebody who will run it into the ground or somebody that's never worked a day in their life. It'll ruin them spiritually. And yet, on the other hand, we think that that's so important. God, we're going on on a trip toward paradise. And Jesus said it best on the cross when he looked at the thief and said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Your word is clear. There's only one paradise, and that's in the presence of the living God. Oh, God, help us to look to that as our final destination. 
and to enjoy that relationship on a day-by-day basis when we walk in obedience with you. To search your word, to seek it, to find out what you desire of our life. And God, help us to believe that if we're doing that, if we've come to know you and, and trust in you through Jesus Christ, and if we live a life that's obedient to you and follow your word, then you guarantee us that that hunger and thirst for righteousness will bring satisfaction. There is no satisfaction outside of that. God, help us to see it and help us to start to live it. And we just praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.